Uh, welcome, everybody, to a very special edition of Audio Judo. Uh, we will be joined in a little bit by Chris Tapp from The Cold Stairs, and we be talking about their new record, Ways. Uh, Colin and I have some uh, burning questions for him. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a lovely chat. We also get to listen to a pre-release version of this album, and it is great. Right? You're going to want to pick it up. And uh, without further ado, here is Chris Tapp from The Cold Stairs. joined today by Chris Tapp from The Cold Stairs on Audio Judo. Uh, good morning, Chris. How are you? Doing great, guys. How are you? Good. Doing good. Good. Thanks for joining us. We uh, really appreciate it. And um, just get started here right away. The, um, I think like a lot of our listeners, uh, about a week and a half ago, I was not familiar with Cold Stairs at all uh, until I saw an Instagram post by uh, guitar legend Joe Bonamassa who said, you need to be listening to this band. So I clicked on it and uh, it took about five seconds before I confirmed, yes, I needed to be listening to this band. So <laughs> so that's what uh, that's what I did and uh, reached out. And Chris was gracious enough to uh, give us a few minutes. And uh, so how's that experience been with, with a legend kind of putting your name out there like that? How's that? It's got to be pretty good. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very humbling and... Uh unexpected um i didn't didn't see that coming joe has liked a couple of the posts and uh, stuff on instagram over the last year and i've had a few kind of um renowned celebrity folks do that and so I, i'm always you know it's always r feels really good when you see that but um a few weeks prior to that he sent me a message on instagram and just said he really liked uh liked the record and was interested in trying to help us, which was very kind. And, um, so I had that and that, you know, that was enough, man. I, I don't, I didn't have to be public, um, to, uh, to make me feel amazing about it. Uh, but then he, I woke up, man, I had, I had a ton of emails, and a ton of text messages. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Either, either one of my friends died or got a record deal. Or something. And, uh, and they were all like, Hey man, you see Joe's post. And, um, about a week prior to him doing that, uh, Charlie Daughtry that runs the Les Paul forum, uh, did, did the same thing. And, uh, you know, he, he's no slouch. He's got a, a ton, thousands of people following him as well. And both those guys have been super supportive and it's, uh, you know, you make records that you want to hear and, and that, um, that you want to be proud of you in, I, th I think our mantra has kind of been, we want to make records that we enjoy listening to and that we're not embarrassed of 10 years down the road and <laughs> just kind of stick to that. And if, if it, if it reaches somebody else, uh, especially 
in that manner, you know, that's, that's great for you and for your career both. So it was absolutely pretty amazing. That's fantastic. That kind of feels like a a running theme with you guys just in, in doing research and, and reading about your history and watching that, uh, uh, documentary that you guys had or either made or had made about you. Uh, that seems like a running theme for you guys to do what feels good to you and do what, you know, you're going to be proud of and happy with rather than, uh, you know, necessarily reaching out for like a commercial success. Uh, Has that kind of been your, I guess, mantra or is it, is it something that you guys have adopted over the years? Yeah, it, uh, probably just from being a couple stubborn guys from Kentucky. We, (laughs) right before we started, right before this band, kind of came to fruition we were in another band and we played a um we had a lead up of about six months with some label interest and we played a um played a showcase and and i just i was doing at that point i was doing everything i could to get signed you know i thought Mm -hmm. well they want to see us looking like this they want songs to be like this so we're really trying to get a record deal and and i was trying to make sense of how to support my family and you know play music or whatever else and we did a showcase and at the end I knew that they just didn't get it. And I just, I'm, I'm done. So I'm not playing music, you know, professionally anymore. And we went a, went a little bit and I came home one day and I just had these songs in my head and I, and I wrote two or three songs probably within five minutes. I just had them kind of already written in my head. And, and that's kind of where this band started. So it started in a really kind of natural way and probably the most, you know, I, I've, I've been blessed that I can play different styles of music and write different styles of music. And the, the, the curse of that is that, you know, if there's a thousand dollar gig in town to play country, I could probably go play it. Uh, and, and sometimes I envy those people that are, that are just, you know, can just do one thing. But for this, the cold stairs thing is the most natural thing that, that we can do that I can, I can write whatever else. So, um, when we started out as hard as we tried for some other gigs, uh, with other bands, this thing is the thing that caught on early. And as soon as it caught on, I was like, okay, I, I get this. I figured this out. Now you just do what, what is your best at and what you're most natural at <laughs> and people like it. <laughs> so I spent, you know, 10 years prior to that, trying to do something that I thought people would like instead of just trying to, you know, be myself. So. Yeah, a lot can be said for authenticity, for sure. Yeah. I think it's it's great. So uh, the band you were in previous, was it a four-piece? Because if anyone out there is listening and not familiar with the Cold Stairs, it is two guys, a guitarist and a singer and a drummer. And that's it. So like a lot of people, the first time I listened to it, I'm like, there's got to be a lot more bodies here because you make a lot of music for two people. But yeah, thank you. Were they? Yeah, it was it was a four piece. Um, it was a band called Shelby, and and it was you know at the time um, we were pretty young. Was listening to like Jeff Buckley and mm-hmm. um, some other things that were a little bit more poppy maybe than what we do now. Um, not a whole lot, but but yeah, it was a four piece. And and the reason when we started this band that we didn't have a bass player is because I was intent that I wasn't going to play and that we weren't going to play shows, and this wasn't a band. It was just uh, us getting together and drinking some beers and playing a couple songs that I'd written. But <laughs> we had a couple people come over. Uh, we would invite people over, and they would, you know, we had one friend in particular that was like, hey, man, 
I'm playing a show this Saturday. I, I need an opener. You guys play. And I was like, dude, we have, you know, seven, seven, six, seven songs and not interested. And he was like, well, I pay you $400, whatever it was and at the time I needed some money. So I said, all right. And I told Brian then, I was like, man, I really don't want to play this show without having some bottom end. And at the time the white stripes were out and black keys were out and I liked what they, I loved the songwriting. You know, those guys are amazing. And I, and mm -hmm. I love the, the artistry behind it, but I hated the fact that there was no bottom end. Yeah, and um, so I, I told Brian, I, I was like, okay, well, I'll do this gig, but I got to figure out a way to have some bottom uh, on there. My brother worked for Dell Computers at the time and was really smart. I had him kind of help me figure out a computer program at the time uh, that would transform the the guitar sound into a bass sound before it hit the bass cabinet. Oh wow! So I we show up the gig and I had like six amps, and <laughs> I had them all uh, cranked, and then I had the guitar run into a laptop that would, you know, make a bass sound. And literally, man, the first time we played, I think the, the joke name at the, at that night, they were like, well, you guys got to have a name. We were like, okay, we're, we're just the show ponies. So I was just trying to be <laughs> smart ass. Cause I thought, man, everybody, as soon as we play this stuff, everybody's going to laugh at us. You know, we're going to look like a couple clowns up here because the band that we were opening for was kind of rootsy Americana stuff. And I was like, do we sound like black Sabbath? you know, whatever. <laughs> but when we played, they, they loved it. They just, when all the amps kicked on, it just, it looked like people were just starved, you know, for like <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. And, um, at the end of the night, I was like, Brian, I think Brian said, dude, they were just like staring at us. And that's kind of where the name came from and everything else. But it, I played wow. for about a year using a computer to make the bass sound and not not we never have played with any tracks or anything like that but it took me a while to find a company that would make pedals that would help me get the bass sound without using a laptop but the laptop thing was horrible it sounded good but like we would get ready we were going on stage to play with the rival sons one time and i looked over and the, and the computer started updating <laughs> we were about to walk on stage <laughs> And I literally about pissed my pants. I was like, holy shit, you know, are we, I'm going to have to go out here and do acoustic something. <laughs> Wait for this thing. So I don't use that. I don't use the computer anymore. But that's that's originally how I got that sound. And thank God for my brother that he helped me figure that out. But, yeah, we, we were not going to be a band. I was adamant that we weren't going to be a band. And so we, I was like, well, I'll, I'll just figure out a way to play the bass and make it sound good for a while because this is only going to last a couple months. And Chris uses and, like a giant bass drum though, doesn't he? To help that out. It's, Brian, I mean, yeah, Brian, yeah, Brian, used, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He used a 28, I think for a while he had a neighbor that came over and oh, was like, Hey, wow. if you'll clean out my basement, I'll give you this drum I've got. And it was this giant drum. You could literally, you could hide somebody in the drum. It's like <laughs> a marching band snare or a marching band bass drum. It was like, yeah, it was like a bass drum from the 40s that they used in these big, big band shows, I think. But um, he doesn't use it really anymore. We've still got it sentimental to us, but um, you don't necessarily have it's a, as a visual. It's cool, but you don't really have to have that big of a bass drum to get that sound. But yeah, those 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 were the early days. That was that was amazing. We, so we had a friend that was. Uh, that was working at the hard rock cafe in Nashville. And then he goes, Hey man, I keep hearing these people talking about this thing. You should come in and do this contest we're having. 
And that, I was that like, would have been the, no the hard way. rock battle of the bands, right? Yeah. It was in like, Nashville. Uh, yeah. Ambassadors of rock. I was like, okay, this is the corny, this corniest <laughs> thing ever. Worked. And there's no way we're going to win. But he was like, okay, I'll, I'll feed you guys food and give you beer and whatever else. So we went down there and played it. And first round we won. I was like, okay, it's a fluke. Somebody, you know, and then we ended up getting to the finals and, that that's that's a moment that I'll never remember or never forget because it it did change everything for us. They they were calling they called the top three, and there was four bands that night, and they were about to call number one. And I was I was looking for my keys because I just knew there was no way we would win. And <laughs> we won, and um, that got us the attention that we needed to kind of get get going and get rocking. But and. That's kind of what got you guys into the studio for a, a cold, wet night and a howling wind, right? Yeah. yeah is, is after that, you kind of moved on to, to recording for that. And obviously yeah, that was and, not without its issues. Yeah, we had <laughs> we had issues with that. But yeah, we, we thought, well, sh- crap, we uh, we better have an album or better have some music people can buy since we they're asking. And we at the time, we didn't have anything really out. So, yeah. So was it, it difficult when you did go into the studio because you had such a, like you said, such a, a specialty rig set up for the, the the guitar and you had, you know, a unique drum set? Was it difficult going into the studio? Did you have to do anything special recording wise or tech wise in order to make it sound on the album the way that you wanted it to sound? Not, not, not really. That first record, we pretty much played those songs in the studio the way we would live, but um I did. We did add some things on there, and I think since then, especially, we really, I've really fell in love with the aspect of recording. Uh, and Brian has too. We both have studios in our homes. And nice. It. We've never. Uh, we have always been a better band live than what the records are. I, in my opinion, um, and I and I hear that from a lot of people that you know they just they'll they'll. So I've heard the records and then they'll come in and go, oh, yeah, the record's great, man, but just doesn't do, doesn't do justice live. So <laughs> when we go in the studio, we go in uh, to try to make the absolute best record we can. And, and it doesn't really matter to me if there's overdubs or multiple guitars because we do play them live before we go in the studio. So I know we can pull it off live. <laughs> so we want it to sound as good as possible in the studio. So I don't get caught up in that too much. Um there's some some stuff in the studio that we I'll have organ on that we don't have organ live, but I love it in the record. And I, and I want for somebody that's a Cold Stairs fan, I'd I love for them to have two aspects of the song, you know. That's cool. It's a tantalizing comment that you're better live than you are on the record because the records are, they sound great. Yeah. So that's a, that's good to know. <laughs> so you're yeah. talking about your, uh, your kind of your influence, not your influences specifically, but, uh, kind of your background and, and what makes you play music. And this new record coming out, Ways, is definitely a unique uh, unique approach to releasing a record because you're kind of releasing it in chunks and then the full thing on October 18th. So can you talk a little bit about like how you broke it down and the different influences that are reflected on there? Yeah, um, this one, I there's a couple things that went into the, the thought process on this one. First of all... Um, we had gotten in some playlists on the last two records on Spotify and um, Amazon, uh, whatever. And what happens is when those guys look at a record, when it comes in, they go, okay, this is a rock record. 
and let's look at rock playlist where it comes in says this is country so consider it for country playlist and um we had gotten lucky with a couple songs that had broken out of the rock playlist and got into either blues or kind of rootsy type stuff and for this one i i wanted to separate them out into three different genres even though they're all kind of tied together the same but so that when a one of the EPs goes to Spotify to be reviewed or or Apple, it comes in under blues. One of them comes in under singer, songwriter, folk, and one of them comes in under hard rock. That way, hmm. we would position ourselves to have people that listen to folk music that maybe didn't like the heavy rock stuff to have an opportunity to examine it without, you know, if they listen to Into Black and they're into folky stuff nick drake then they're not you know they're not going to love that as much as they would if they're in the sound garden and you know vice versa so um i thought that might be a smart approach and then the other thing was anytime that we're working on anything especially when i'm writing stuff the the more creative i can be about the process i always feel like the better the songs can be so i thought well we really uh influence wise we really have this blues thing we really have this hard rock thing and um we really have this. I love Southern Gothic and kind of Western nowhere. You know, I'm a, I'm a student of Western movies and samurai movies. So I love <laughs> um, those kind of aspects. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll make, I'm going to make three records, even though they're just going to be EPs. I'm going to, I'm going to do them, write them like I'm only writing for that record and um, try to be as true to those three things as possible. And, I just thought it would be maybe a little bit creative and, and there's so much stuff out right now and there's so much stuff that comes out every week that if you can find ways to differentiate yourself from others and, um, you know, just be a little, have a little bit more icing on the cake. I thought it might be, might be cool. No, it's very, uh, it's definitely unique. I was listening to uh, black and white at work uh, last night and uh, one of the other guys behind me after eight songs played, he's like, was that all the same band? And I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, they kind of, kind of crossed over. I'm like, let me explain. So I had explained to him how it's broken down. He goes, oh, well, then that makes total sense. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, and I'm, I love. I was on. I did a, a podcast yesterday, and we were talking about vinyl, and I, I love the aspect of putting the vinyl record on and hearing different timbers in it and hearing different. Um, you know, th there are bands that I love, like the Cult, the Cult Electric album. I mm -hmm. love that record. Back in Black, you know, most ACDC albums. But I really was a fan, uh, young, uh, whenever I was young, of hearing records like the Zeppelin stuff where you'd hear the rocker, the blues, the acoustic stuff. You'd hear it, you know, on the same record, and it gave... It made the albums. I remember thinking, like, I was. I remember seeing the Zeppelin stuff and seeing the Hermit on there, and I thought it was like Lord of the Rings at the time. And I thought, you know, this <laughs> this album sounds like a book, you know, because it has different. It it changes, you know, and it goes up and down. And um, I have to thank my. Uh, whenever I was a, a little kid, my godparents lived behind me, and I used to go back there, and I was like five or six, and there. One of their kids was like 18 or 19. And he had all those 70s records, mm -hmm. had a record player. And and so uh, uh, that, that influence hopefully comes through on this record. But that's that was the intent, just to kind of do something that kind of went up and down and didn't sound like the whole record, you know, 
didn't sound like the same thing the whole record. It ACDC is great, man. I tell you what, it's it's hard to write ten to twelve songs that are all just straight rockers mm-hmm. yeah. that don't sound the same or you don't get sick of, you know. Right. So I like to mix it up a little bit. Uh, I was just going to ask. Uh, so I know that uh, with the change in the the sort of uh, landscape in the music industry that's happened in the last ten or fifteen years with the introduction of streaming and uh, basically physical media has started to become like a niche version of the or a niche portion of the market. Do you still think that it's possible for people to be career musicians? Do you still think that it's possible to make a, a, an entire living doing it? Um, well, yeah, it, it's, it's possible. You have to be a lot more creative. I mean, look at Joe, um, doesn't, hasn't really fooled with big record labels, mm-hmm. tours nonstop, and then has created this merch, uh, empire, that yeah. empire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, get these emails from Joe. He, he's got his name on, on everything. Uh-huh. Um, so I mean, he's, he's been brilliant about that. There's other bands that, that have done it well. Um, I think you do have to be creative and you have to apply the creativity that you apply to your music to marketing and how you're going to reach people. And that, that can be difficult because it, it can sap the zap, the love of, um, of the music out if you have to do the business part of it too much. So I would imagine it would sap all the energy out of you too. If you got to focus so much time on the business aspect of it and less on the music. That's the, that's the toughest thing for me right now in, in my life. Career wise is like I have a list of things I got to do. I got to send lyrics out today. I've got to uh, send some stuff in for syncs. I've got to break songs into stems. I've got to do these other things. And and what I want to do is go in there and watch a film and pick up the (laughs) guitar and go downstairs and write songs. Or I want to, you know, visit my granddad's grave today and it's a beautiful day outside. I want to go back to a place that inspires me, that makes me want to create but you can't do that all the time so you have to walk a fine line you have to find people you have to allow people that love you and love your music that want to help you to help and so it opens up other ways to do it but uh i have sadly uh, or maybe not sadly but i've come to um the conclusion that a lot of people do um that that are lifers and i i don't even if I couldn't make a living at it, I couldn't stop doing it. It's just, I've been playing music since I was four. Um, it's such a part of who I am that, I mean, I, I would probably be working two or three other jobs or working another job and still be playing music. Um, so ca- career wise, uh, it doesn't make as much sense. I have a degree in history. I have a bachelor's in history and was working on my master's in history when the band kind of took off. And so I guess maybe I'll teach history someday <laughs> if I can't do rock and roll, but <laughs> I don't know if anybody would want for a teacher. We might be doing the history of, you know, sun house or something. <laughs> we do the history of uh, rock and roll. That'd be a cool I took class. a class. I took a class in that. And I think I drove the teacher crazy because I just argued, <laughs> argued the whole time. <laughs> so you have, clearly have a lot of uh there's a the blues section of it that i listen to you have a lot of steve ray vaughn uh in you like uh, guitar wise like and i'm pretty sure that was intentional on one of those songs because it sounded like you were channeling steve ray vaughn through one of the songs on there (laughs) 
Yeah, I was a fool. Yeah, I, you know, yes. I, I was. A, I'm a fan of that era. Uh, I was young whenever I heard that stuff, and it just blew my mind. But um, I have intentionally tried not to go in that direction because, um, you know, that's just not the guitar player that I am. Uh, I'm I'm a riff writer and a songwriter, but I'm not so much uh, enveloped in the the solo mm-hmm. type stuff. I, I I was I'm fortunate, you know, and and at, at different times in your life, you look at things and you go, "Man, this sucks," and you know, I'm I'm. I've been dealt the short straw or whatever, but if you trust in just kind of your path and, and God and stuff, then eventually it sorts out. Whenever I was like 13 or 14, my best friend and I started kind of playing guitar around the same time. And he immediately just took off. He was playing all this Ingve stuff, and Stevie <laughs> Ray stuff. He could play it all. And dude, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, I came from a piano background and, um, I, I just I, I was playing well, but I didn't play the solo. He was doing sweet picking and all this other stuff. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I I can't remember. I talked to my dad. I talked to somebody. And they said, hey, man, no, nobody remembers these solos. Everybody remembers the song. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I really focused my guitar playing on being able to. I wanted to write Black Dog and I wanted to write. Iron Man, and I wanted to write things that people would rock out on and remember more than the solo stuff. So I intentionally did not learn scales. I intentionally did not learn the proper way to make chords on guitars. I, I didn't play bar chords. I played these bizarre chords because I knew on piano, you know, the E minor, it's E, G, and B. How could I make that on the guitar without playing the I was playing bands, and people would go, hey, man, it's a D. You know, and they'd look over and I'd be playing a chord and it would sound like a D and they would go, that's not the way you play D. I'm like, you know, it's a D, but I, yeah, it's a D, but I, um, so I intentionally tried not to, I didn't want to become so good on the guitar that it took away from the creativity of, I was a fan of punk rock and I was a fan of early blues and it didn't, Sunhouse wasn't in tune, you know, mm-hmm. and I was hearing this stuff and I thought this is so raw and so powerful and so angry if i go and learn how to do sweet picking in 32nd notes or 64th notes over this stuff <laughs> it's going to take away i'm going to be lumped in with these other guys and i'm not going to be my own dude so i try not to do that now having said all that in the last five or six years the way i've kind of subsidized myself playing rock and roll is i've been teaching guitar lessons mm-hmm. and so i have allowed myself to kind of enjoy playing a little bit more you know I still am a student of the song, but I enjoy playing guitar. I really, really enjoy playing guitar. Mm. So I have this last couple of records, especially there was a time I would say, man, I ain't playing no solo. And when we started <laughs> this band, I was like, I'm not playing guitar solos. If we have a solo section, it's going to be an interaction between the drums and the guitar. That's going to be musical and people can listen to and decipher without being just, uh, you know, shredders or guitar people. And right. But this last this last couple of records, I've enjoyed it more, and I'm, I'm so that song. But that song, even that's got a jam section in the middle. It's not really as much of a guitar solo, but I loved those records, and I loved Charlie Sexton, Dual Bramall. Oh yeah, Archangels. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was that was a record. I remember being in like sixth, seventh grade, and I heard that record, and I was I just loved it. And, and they only made the one. So, yeah, man, it's a shame. Charlie, Charlie, they both done record solo records. Charlie had uh, that really early solo record back in the mid '80s that I 
actually loved. I'm yeah. When yeah. I was about fourteen or fifteen, I loved that record so much. Yeah. Beat so lonely yeah. is one of my favorite songs. So. So it's so cool, man. He's such a cool cat, and he had a he had a solo record whenever I was around that age that was like Wishing Tree or something. Yeah, uh, you can't find that hardly. You can't find it anywhere now, but it was amazing. So yeah, I, I love those guys, and so those those when we approach when I approached the blues record this time, I wanted to do something that was really murky and dark. Uh, so that's kind of headstone blues. Hmm. I wanted to tip a hat to Austin and those guys, uh, the Texas blue stuff, which was, I was a fool. That's the yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan and those kind of guys. And again, I can't, I can't, Joe can probably play all those stuff. There's and Dole and Charlie can play the Stevie stuff. Kenny Wayne <laughs> Shepard, those guys. Yeah. But when you hear it, you're, you know, when you hear some of those guys, if it's too close, you know, it, it's like, uh, Kind of like the Greta and the Led Zeppelin thing. Greta's a great band, but I want, if yeah, I want to hear that, I want to hear a Zeppelin. So right. I, I wanted to do something with a tip of the hat without trying to be, without trying to be too much of it. But right, it's it's that song is recognizable as having the Stevie Ray sound, but as soon as you start singing, it's completely completely different. Uh, thank you. That's just a that's a strap through a through an amp without too much, you know. <laughs> <laughs> too much going on and i think that was that's the great thing about stevie and those those guys that play that it was just a it's just a guitar and nap and you know talent you know so uh live gigs you have gigs coming up i know there's one for all of our las vegas listeners which is probably half of our listening base i know you guys are coming out here in november is that right yes yep uh promoter from out there has been following us for a while and and super cool. And we've been trying to get us out there. And then uh, the label wanted us to get out to LA. We were going to do some live in the studio performances out there. We got a gig at the Viper room on the 20th, I think. Uh, and maybe we're working on a couple other shows in Los Angeles. And then we go to Vegas on the 22nd. So looking forward to that. We've never, never played in Vegas before. I've been out there a couple of times and loved it. So it should be a blast. That's great. Cool. I was just going to say, and we're working uh, on. We got some other tour stuff coming up. We're finalizing some stuff. We got stuff in the works for 2020 that um, is going to be amazing. And we have a we have one thing in particular that um, we just signed a contract on that I can't announce or say for 10 days. Uh, <laughs> uh, they have to have a chance to announce it first, but it will uh, it will definitely uh, help push the needle for us though. So there's some really cool stuff coming out in the next couple of weeks, touring wise stuff. Cool. Well, we really, uh, really appreciate you taking your time today. I, obviously you have an extremely busy schedule. It sounds like with, with all the stuff coming up, um, you have a, a busy couple of, probably yeah. hopefully a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. I hope, I hope we stay, uh, I hope we stay busy. We're really enjoying making records, uh, and enjoy all of it. Um, but, um, looking forward to already starting to write the next record. And I think the plan is we haven't kind of announced it yet, but I think the plan is for spring and summer of 2020 to do uh, two separate records. I'm going to attempt to do the ACDC route and do, I'm going to do a record that has 10 to 12, just rock songs, just do the best rock record, rock blues record that we can do. And then do a, a separate record. That's going to be just a fully acoustic, um, rootsy type thing so kind of kind of what we did here with ways but a little bit more focused on um 
doing full records of each one. We had, I kind of got into rock mode, blues rock mode in the last couple of weeks and kind of knocked some stuff out pretty quick. So I think it's a route we're going to go. That sounds really cool. So uh, Waze, uh, what's the best way for people to get hold of it? Uh, it's coming out October 18th, correct? It's coming out October 18th. The first two EPs are out right now, the black EP. Um, and then the white EP it came out last Friday. The blue, uh, I Was a Fool, comes out as a single this Friday, October 4th. And then the, the rest of the blue EP comes out the 11th. And then, as you said, the October 18th, the, the full record's out. We have we are taking Into Black and going to Rock Radio uh, November 1st. Um, so it'll be the first time we've actually you know had a radio company that's working it and going to radio with into black. So we'll see how that goes, but yeah. Uh, and then we'll have vinyl and stuff in November for the record as well. Cool. Uh, the website's just the cold stairs.com, right? That's it. Yep. Tons of news on there, which is by the way, one thing I did want to mention, it is so awesome that you keep all of the previous venues that you've played at listed on there, because I can't tell you how many bands you go on and it's just wherever they're going to play. And you're like, wait, didn't, weren't they at such, such and such a bar or someplace in the past? I remember hearing about that and you can't find any information about that. And I know that's something yeah. super small, but it was something that really stuck out to me. Uh, thanks. I have to give a shout out. Um, our friend, Sean Apple, uh, handles the website for us and he is a, uh, he's handled it for us for the last couple of years. I designed that website originally with the guy, I don't know, it's five or six years ago, but Sean has, uh, has two special needs daughters and he lost one of them last year. Uh, and he's taking care of the other one now. So he's, uh, he's home with, with his daughter and that gives him an opportunity to, to work on the website. And, um, it is, uh, he's been, a he's been a blessing to us and actually thorns on the new record was written for his, um, his daughter, Alex, that passed away last year. So, I am the autumn moon I bring the change that hangs around till June Don't follow me on my way down Ooh, winding roads for thorns on the ground Listen to the song that the spring pipe plays Just around the bend we will find it beautiful song yeah thank you thank you but yeah he uh he handles that for us and he i don't that's the one thing i don't have to worry about he, he rocks <laughs> that website for us so that's and there's good. a there's a merch store on there as well right so if people want to buy stuff they can they can find it on there there is yep yep and we've been shipping a lot of it especially since the joe thing happened we have been shipping we figured out a way we have a lot of fans in australia and uh, a couple other countries and the shipping over there is crazy. So what I figured out was you put the stuff on eBay and then let them buy it. And eBay has a global shipping plan. So it uh -huh. ships about an hour from where I live. And then they, 
the same shipping costs they send it anywhere out in the world. So, oh, that's cool. Hopefully that hopefully they don't catch me on that. But that's what we've been doing. Yeah. yeah, we can mute that part of the interview if we need to. <laughs> yeah, no, they they got it up there. So that's that's yeah. uh, that's really cool. And then uh, social media wise, uh, anything you want to plug while we're here? You're your own personal uh, uh, Twitter or Facebook or uh, it's all the bands. Yeah, if you find any social media stuff, it's just backslash um, the cold stairs. I don't. We're not on Twitter anymore. I kind of got off there earlier this year, but we are on Instagram and Facebook and uh, everywhere else. I think. Well, we really appreciate you uh, taking your time today to talk to us. It's been our pleasure. And uh, yeah, fellas, I, I appreciate it too. So both you guys are in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we actually work together and. Uh, we share a, a love of music, so hey, let's let's get let's get together in Matthew's garage and talk about music for a while. <laughs> and that's great, man. So that's what we ended up just starting to just talking about our favorite records. And I'm like, let me reach out to people that that are making new music and see see what happens. See if we could promote people listening to to new music. I was talking to I was talking to my uh, wife last week after I'd talked to you, and uh, I was on my way to my softball games, and I'm like, hey. I, I want you to listen to this this new band that that I'm listening to. And we're going to talk to you next week, and and I put it on. and And normally she's a pretty hard sell as far as some of the music I listen to. She likes a lot of country. I'm not a big huge country fan, but I do listen to some. And so we're driving along, and she goes, "Wow, this is really really good." I'm like, "Yeah." And it's two guys. She's like, "No." I'm like, "Yes, two guys." <laughs> and she goes, "This is this is awesome. I love this." And she she just doesn't. Like we just don't see eye to eye musically, so to to have that that in, and we've been we've been married for twenty five years, so it's usually like, okay, I'm going to go out in the garage and listen to music. She goes, oh, you're going to listen to that stuff, are you? And but now <laughs> it's like, hey, she can listen, she listen to it with me. So yeah, it's a uh, it's good. So you know, you know, when you, you've won fans over when when the wife's like, yes, I will listen. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> That's great. We've been very we've been very fortunate that uh, even even fans outside the genre uh, get they they dig it and and especially sometimes a lot of times we've played live and we've played to some really varying crowds as far as age diversity and whatever else and I think they appreciate and respect that that much music's coming from two guys so mm-hmm. they'll they'll stay and listen. And uh, there's been times I thought, man, we are we are so heavy that we're going to run everybody out of here, and uh, <laughs> we don't, and they stay. I was reading a review and, that somebody wrote on your website, or you you had posted a link to a, a review about who's talking about people uh, like twerking in the front of the stage, and and people, <laughs> <laughs> like okay, yeah, I, that yeah, that was a that was Memphis man, and in Memphis you just <laughs> never know what you're going to get. You, you, you never know. And I, but I'll tell you this much, um, Memphis will, will blow out any, any stereotype and preconception of what you have is what, what you think people would list like to listen to. You know, mm-hmm. if I, I'm from Kentucky and you drive around, you walk into a place and it's, uh, it's a very rural white crowd and you just assume that they all listen to you know, country or whatever else. And that's not necessarily the case. And Memphis is a very diverse city and we've gone into places before. And I thought, man, this is a, this is a rap crowd or this is this crowd. And, and you make, you, you judge by those stereotypes and they love, they love the rock and roll down there. 
and it's it's that's that's what's great about America, you know. It's, mm-hmm. I love it. So Memphis is uh, Memphis is crazy. We 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 were playing a rock and roll show down there, and we had some crazy people in front of the stage. You know, I never <laughs> I never thought songs that we wrote that I never thought were danceable. They they were dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and and one thing, guys, about your podcast, I want to say, uh, and just podcasts in general, and uh, there was a time that MTV and and some of those there was a couple outlets that dictated what was said about music and bands and uh, was kind of a monopoly of big record companies and, and MTV. And it's, it's, I think it's an amazing time that we're in right now that there's so many podcasts by music lovers and, and things that are well done, like what you guys do that get bands out like us for people to hear. Uh, that is just, it's just more an organic real process um, and nobody's getting paid to say that they like this or that or whatever else. So bravo on the podcast. And I'm, uh, you got a new fan here too. So thank you very much. Yeah. We appreciate that. And I, I'm, yep. I'm one of those people that I ordered two shirts the other day from your website. So I'll be <laughs> <laughs> great, man. Great. <laughs> but thanks again for joining us and, uh, have a great day and good luck on the record release. Which yeah. We plan on uh, releasing this episode on the 18th. So it all kind of coincide and drop together. Perfect, man. I will uh, I'll promote the heck out of it. Thank uh, you very much for having me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a great day, Chris. Yep. See you guys. Bye. So that was uh, Chris Tapp from the Cold Stairs. We really appreciate him uh, coming on the podcast, doing this interview. Uh, he's a super busy guy, so uh, we appreciate having some of his time. Again, Ways is out October 18th, the album. The three pieces of the album, the uh, Ways Blue, Ways Black, and Ways White will be coming out before that. So you can go listen to them on uh, most streaming services. You can go buy them from uh, the Cold Stairs website. Uh, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about just yeah. at the end here, Kyle. So we all have um, streaming services by now. Most of us do out there that are that are listening. You have Spotify or whatever your streaming service of choice is. So go listen to the record on the streaming service. But the way I see the streaming thing is kind of like a library. If I go to the library, I'm going to take out a book. If I like the book a lot and it's something that's important to me, I'm going to take it back to the library and then I'm probably going to go to the bookstore and we're going to buy a version of that book so I can have it because it's important to me. I want to look back and reflect on it and also uh, give some support to the author that maybe the library doesn't. So listen to the Waze record on on Spotify or streaming service. But by all means, please go to iTunes or go to their merch shop and buy a physical copy or a digital copy and support your independent artists. Yes. Like these guys are 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 doing all this for you and for them. But they're trying to scratch out a living too. And it's a, it's an important industry that, that we support and listen, it's 10 bucks, you know, it it costs as much for a, a full digital copy of this record as it does for one month of Spotify. Yeah. Go out and support them and, and pitch in and just do the right thing, please. And it, it is really probably more important now than ever before. If there's an artist out there that you like, Find them however you can find them. You know, you, you hear them on the radio, you hear them through a streaming service, you hear us talking about them on a podcast or whatever. 
Find them however you can find them. But once you find an artist you like, support them, buy their merch, buy an album directly from them. Uh, it really does help them out a lot. Uh, go see them live. Yeah. Oh, please. Uh, you know, one of the, the, one of the things we talked a little bit with Chris about was, uh, whether or not musicians can still make it, uh, in the industry, whether or not you can still be a career musician. And, uh, you know, it, it has become increasingly difficult. You know, I, I worked in my previous job. I worked with a lot of live musicians, people who were on tour, uh, not, really big name bands. Most of the time, usually much smaller artists, people who weren't quite as well known, but, uh, all of them, I mean, this would have been 2009 to 2015. And that was the time frame where streaming rose and, uh, you know, came into prominence. And a lot of them were really struggling because they went from being, you know, making 10 or 15 cents every time they sold a song or, you know, a dollar every time they sold an album on something like iTunes to making 10 or 15 cents for every hundred thousand listens. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it became untenable. I know there was a, I can't, I'm not going to mention him by name specifically just because I don't, I, nothing wrong with him, but uh, he was a piano player that came through the venue that I worked at a uh, very nice guy, but he did talk about how he's like, you know, 20 years ago in the nineties, He's like, I made a living doing this. I did two or three gigs a week and I lived comfortably. And then he's like, 10 years ago, it became much less comfortable and I had to work more and more and more. And he's like, now I'm doing four or five gigs like this a week, fly gigs, where he's like, you fly somewhere or you drive somewhere, you play a gig and then you leave. And he had to teach piano lessons and he was trying to look for other, he was trying to branch out. He was trying to start getting into making YouTube videos and, and doing other stuff to try to make money. And it was really like, you shouldn't have to struggle like that to make art. Mm-hmm. It, it was really sad to me talking to this guy who'd been you know playing the piano for his whole life. And he was in his fifties by this point and just the struggle that he was going through. And he was a, an amazing musician, but Chris touched on that a little bit with yeah. the teaching guitar lessons yeah, and also the fact that he has to not only become the creative arm, but he also has to become the marketing arm and the business arm of, yeah. of the band. And, you know, in the old days, a good band gets signed to a record label and the record label handles most of these other elements, promoting uh, booking gigs and all that stuff. And now the artists have to do it themselves. So the, the double-edged sword of, yeah, you're gonna you have access to a lot more music than you ever did before, but at what cost yeah. does it, is it to the artist? They're trying to scratch out an existence and do it for the sake of the art. So, so go out and you know download a copy or go to their website coldstairs.com. Yes, and uh, thecoldstairs.com. Go to their uh, merch uh, store. They have their records on there and some t-shirts and, and some other swag. So, uh, and, and we'll put links to all that in our, uh, our absolutely. show notes. And we appreciate you guys joining us for a special yeah. episode. And once again, if oh. there's, there's bands that you want to hear us talk about. Oh yeah. How would they get uh, a hold of, how would they uh, let you us can know? email us info at audio judo.com, uh, facebook.com forward slash audio judo, uh, at audio judo on Twitter. And I believe Instagram as well. Yes. You can send us a carrier pigeon. If you really want, uh, just tell it to find Kyle or Matthew. They'll know. Those are messy, though. Yeah, that's true. Big fan of that. Not a big fan of the carrier pigeons, but but anyways, please do get in touch with us. Let us know who, especially if there's a, a band out there that is uh, uh, 
struggling that, uh, you know, we, that's a great band because we know that they're out there. Yep. We know there's uh musicians out there and bands out there that are right on that cusp of, you know, they're, they're either going to make it or break it. And, you know, a lot of times having somebody, even if, you know, we only get a couple hundred listeners, that's a couple hundred more people that hadn't heard of that band beforehand Absolutely, that can, you know, help them out. And even if you don't buy anything yourself, maybe you pass it along to somebody else who does. Sounds good. So again, thanks for listening. Uh, and we'll be back next week oh, yeah. with the episode about Elvis Costello. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.